And our Old Testament reading, which uh, Viv is going to come and read, is Isaiah 2, verses 1 to 5. This is headed, The Mountain of the Lord. This is what Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established. As the highest of the mountains, it will be exalted above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war any more. Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. On the 25th of April 1915, the Allies stormed the beaches of Gallipoli in what is now uh, Turkey or uh, Turkey. Eight months of bloody fighting ensued, which claimed the lives of 8,141 Australians, 2,779 New Zealanders, 21,255 British, 10,000 French, 1,358 Indians, 49 Canadians from Newfoundland, and 86,692 Ottoman Turks. The Australia and New Zealand Army Corps suffered its greatest losses of the First World War in the Gallipoli campaign. And Anzac Day is about remembering and honoring the soldiers who fought and died there. Whatever our views on war, it is right that we should remember and honor them. Many of those men, perhaps the majority, were in their late teens and early 20s. And although you had to be 18 to enlist, uh, the youngest allied combatant was a young Australian by the name of James Martin. He was 14, and he was killed just three weeks after he landed. Again, whatever our views on war, uh, those men believed that they were fighting for the greater good, and they did their duty. So we honor them. We honor them, but we don't elevate them to a godlike status, and there is a very real danger of doing this. Several years ago, Tissa and I uh, visited the Shrine of Remembrance in Melbourne, and I found myself looking around for some evidence that this was a Christian edifice. I found none. I searched outside and inside. I, I, I found a Bible verse, John uh, fifteen thirteen, engraved on a flagstone. It said, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. But it was clear that this was meant to be applied to the soldiers who had lost their lives rather than to Christ himself. That was the only Christian thing in this whole uh, shrine of remembrance. According to the Oxford Dictionary, the word shrine means a place regarded as holy because of its associations with a divinity or sacred person, marked by a building or other construction. So the shrine of remembrance in Melbourne 
is a shrine that doesn't have any association with God. And so the soldiers themselves, by default, become the sacred persons. We remember and honor those soldiers, but we must not engage in hero worship. We remember and honor them in the context of the hope we have in Christ, who is our true savior. And that is what I want to focus on today. With all that's happening in the world today, it's apt to consider the subject of war and a Christian response to it. But firstly, what is war? Well, in simple terms, it is a state of armed conflict between different countries or different groups within a country. But war is so much more than a simple definition. To start with, it is a sign of total rebellion against God. In the book of Genesis, we see how Adam and Eve rejected God's instructions, made a grasp for their independence, and sought to redefine good and evil for themselves. The consequences were catastrophic. Sin and death entered into God's good creation. And within the, within the turn of a page, the Bible describes the first ever murder. Cain murdered his brother Abel out of jealousy and spite. From there, sin spiraled out of control as lethal violence became a permanent fixture in our world. It's tragic and it's heartbreaking. What is war? It is one of the many inevitable consequences of human sin and rebellion against God. Moreover, war is dehumanizing. We've been made in the image of God. Our God-given purpose is to represent God in the world, to rule over creation on God's behalf, to lovingly care for creation, just as God himself would do. The further we move from that position, the less human we become. You can't get much further from God's intention than deliberately destroying life en masse. It doesn't matter which side you're on, whether you're uh, fighting for good or evil, the dehumanizing effect will be felt. They say a picture paints a thousand words. This is Eugene Stepanovich Kobyatev, a Russian artist and teacher, before and after four years of no rule war on the Eastern Front between 1941 and 1945. Now, I'm no doctor, but I'd be very surprised if that man uh, in the second photograph there, same man, uh, wasn't suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD. One of the dehumanizing effects of war is that it leaves many fighting a battle long after they've returned from the conflict itself. It is very hard for the human mind to process the kind of things that one might see and experience in time of war. It's estimated that 8.3% of Australian Defence Force members have experienced PTSD in the last 12 months. 8.3%. And that figure rises to 17.7% among ex-serving personnel. Symptoms include problematic anger, substance abuse, sleep disturbance, depression, feelings of guilt and shame, chronic pain and other physical health conditions. Those symptoms often start years after uh, the events that caused them occurred. War affects a person's personality, 
perspective, and psyche. In some cases, it has such a severe effect on the mind that a formerly well-balanced and positive person feels compelled to take their own life. Sadly, more than 1,200 serving and ex-serving ADF personnel committed suicide between 2021 and 2019. I don't have the uh, figures for the last few years. Uh, But today, of all days, we ought to remember them and we ought to remember their families. War is dehumanizing, and yet it is so often glorified. And one of the reasons that war gets glorified is that it does give people, predominantly men, the opportunity to demonstrate genuine virtues, courage, determination, selflessness, cheerfulness under adversity. We admire these qualities, and it's okay to admire them, but we must not admire war itself, not even for a second. So war is rebellion against God. War is dehumanizing. And war is escalatory. When a nation resorts to war, it embarks on an enterprise that it can neither control or easily extricate itself from. At the beginning of World War I, Who would have known that that war would last four years and claim the lives of 20 million people? That was supposed to be the war to end all wars. Yet in just 21 years, 21 years later, uh, the deadliest war in human history, the Second World War, ensued. And that claimed the lives of between 62 and 78 million people, which was around 3% of the entire global population at the time. The great Russian author Leo Tolstoy, in his best-known work, War and Peace, makes the point that historical figures like Napoleon and Wellington uh, do not make history. They merely get pushed along by events beyond their control. Those who embark on war let the genie out of the lamp and they cannot put it back in. War is escalatory. It is uncontrollable evil. Finally, war is futile. There are no winners in war. We can see that clearly from the current conflict in, uh, well, between Russia and Ukraine. Uh, they are fighting to control cities that have been reduced to piles of rubble, wastelands of brick, dust, and corpses. Neither Russia nor Ukraine have the resources to rebuild these once beautiful and flourishing towns and cities. What is war? War is rebellion against God. It's dehumanizing. It's escalatory. And it is futile. The fact that war exists and continues to exist is evidence of that humanity has turned its back on God. I began by saying that I want to focus on the hope that we have in Christ. So before we all get too depressed, let's turn to that subject now. We have just celebrated Easter. We celebrated the fact that Jesus has conquered sin and death and evil. Colossians 2.15 says this, and having disarmed the powers and authorities of evil, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Jesus has defeated evil. And with every passing day, we move closer to the point where evil will be completely abolished. 
Our reading from Isaiah today gave us a hint of what that might look like, um, especially when it comes to war. It said, they will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. And there are a lot of passages in the Old Testament that make it clear that all war will eventually cease. And then in the New Testament with Jesus, we see how that will happen. Jesus rose from the dead with a real physical body. A real physical body that will inhabit a real physical world. This world, but not in its current state. When Jesus returns, he will renew and restore the whole of creation. The world will be perfected along with all those who have put their faith in Jesus. That is what is going to happen. And those who belong to Jesus will be part of it regardless of what takes place in the world between now and then. When Jesus' kingdom is fully established, peace will reign forever. Knowing that is a source of tremendous hope. And that hope strengthens our will, our resolve, and our determination to live the lives that God has called us to. The situation in Ukraine has caused a huge amount of uncertainty and instability. And if you've been following the news, you will have heard questions like, will Putin use tactical nuclear weapons? What will Putin do when he realizes that he's been defeated militarily? Will China come to Russia's aid? Might China attempt to capitalize on the situation in Europe by attacking Taiwan? Are we on the verge of World War III? Is all-out nuclear war a possibility? As Christians, how should we respond to such gloomy speculations? Well, we pray. We pray unceasingly for this broken world. We don't give way to fear or alarmism. And we continue to do what the church has always done. We continue to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ that others might share the hope that we have. In the wake of the Second World War, the nuclear and the nuclear bombings of uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki, uh, the world became very nervous, uh, understandably, about the use of nuclear weapons. In 1939, C.S. Lewis wrote something uh, that is just as pertinent today as it was then. It's quite a, a lengthy extract, but I think it's worth reading in full. Here's what he said. He said, in one way, we think a great deal too much of the atomic bomb. How are we to live in an atomic age? I'm tempted to reply, why, as you would have lived in the 16th century when the plague visited London almost every year? Or as you would have lived in a Viking age when raiders from Scandinavia might land and cut your throat any night? Or indeed, as you are already living in an age of cancer, an age of syphilis, an age of paralysis, an age of air raids, an age of railway accidents, an age of motor accidents. In other words, do not let us begin by exaggerating the novelty of our situation. Believe me, dear sir or madam, you and all whom you love were already sentenced to death before the atomic bomb was invented, and quite a high percentage of us were going to die in unpleasant ways. We had indeed one very great advantage over our ancestors, anaesthetics, but we have that still. 
It is perfectly ridiculous to go about whimpering and drawing long faces because the scientists have added one more chance of painful and premature death to a world which already bristled with such chances and in which death itself was not a chance at all, but a certainty. This is the first point to be made. And the first action to be taken is to pull ourselves together. If we're going to be destroyed by an atomic bomb, let that bomb, when it comes, find us doing sensible and human things, praying, working, teaching, reading, listening to music, bathing the children, playing tennis, chatting to our friends over a pint and a game of darts, not huddled together like frightened sheep thinking about bombs. They may break our bodies, a microbe can do that, but they need not dominate our minds. In other words, as Christians, we have other things that we can think about and focus on that are in fact far more important. The gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, no matter what happens in the world, God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Our faith in Christ is based on what Jesus has already done. Our hope for the future is based on sure and certain promises. And our purpose and mission in the world will, will remain the same right up until the point when Christ returns. Hebrews 6.19 says, We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It's one of my favorite verses. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. So today we remember and honor those Australians and New Zealanders who have died or been injured in armed conflict, and uh, Gallipoli in particular. We lament the futility of war. We grieve the evil that exists in our world. We face the possibility of future conflict. But we do so with tremendous hope. And again, this is where the Shrine of Remembrance is lacking. There is nothing about that building that offers us any hope for the future. But in Christ, there is hope, a hope that anchors our soul firm and secure. And this hope is available to everyone who is willing to put their faith in Jesus. There is hope for those who are suffering with mental or physical injuries. If they turn to Christ, they will be healed. That healing might come now partially or fully, but when Jesus returns, they will be completely healed. There is hope for those who are riddled with guilt and shame. Because Romans 8 verse 1 says, There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is hope for those who have seen their cities and homes reduced to rubble and had to to flee as refugees because they can find a home, an eternal home, with Christ Jesus. There is hope for the instigators of armed conflict and the perpetrators of war crimes, because the Lord will forgive all who truly repent. And there is hope for servicemen and women serving in armed conflicts around the world today, because according to the Apostle Paul, our situation as believers is as follows. I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Come what may, our job is to take this wonderful message of hope to a broken and hurting world.
the Lord will end war, abolish evil, and establish peace. And those who know and love Jesus will experience that peace for all eternity. There can be no better news than this. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, today on Anzac Sunday, when we remember and honour those Australians and New Zealanders who have been killed or injured in armed conflict, when we remember and grieve with the mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters and relatives of those who have been killed or maimed or affected by armed conflict. Today of all days, we should acknowledge the futility, the senselessness and the evil of war and recognize that it is a result of human sin and rebellion against you. We pray, Father, that we can strike that balance between remembering and honoring, but also lamenting the fact that war exists. And we put our hope and our trust in you. We're so thankful that we know the end game, that we know that uh, the, the, the state that the world is in now, that is not how it's going to be forever. It will be changed. It will be transformed. It will be perfected when your son Jesus returns. We thank you for this. We thank you for Jesus in his name. We pray. Amen.